you are starting a podcast from scratch. What advice would you give? Well, I will give you some advice. And I'm help you get your podcast up and running in no time at all. Hey, uh, guys, um, I've been meaning to ask you. Uh, I've been doing a podcast. Um, it's going to be super easy. You guys want to uh, be guests? Hello, everyone, and welcome to Pull Quotes. I'm your host and editor, Ashley Fraser. This week, we are going a bit meta, and we have a podcast about podcasts. Last week here in Toronto, Hot Doc Cinema hosted the fourth annual Hot Docs Podcast Festival. Podcasters from all over Canada and across the world came together to talk about the business of making podcasts. Here on our show, we wanted to discuss more about the current landscape and what it looks like for Canadian podcast listeners. And Tanya, our producer, is here to tell us more. Thanks, Ashley. In the past year, nearly 11 million Canadian adults have listened to a podcast. That's 37% of the 18-plus population, and every year the number of Canadians listening to podcasts continues to grow. Wow. This statistic is part of the Canadian Podcast Listener Survey, which is the first major report that looks at Canadian listening habits. This survey was launched by Jeff Fiddler from Audience Insights Inc. and Jeff Ulster from Ulster Media and the Podcast Exchange. And Jeff Ulster joined us on the phone to tell us more about the growing podcast market here in Canada. Welcome, Jeff. Thanks for being on our show. Thank you for having me. So before you started the podcast listener survey, what was the landscape like for understanding who is listening to podcasts in Canada? It was a lot of guesswork, basically. There really wasn't any data, uh, virtually no data whatsoever about Canadian podcast listening. There were you know, studies being done in the States, primarily by Edison Research, but here in Canada we had almost nothing. So if you were a podcast publisher, you might know a little bit about your own audience, but there's no wider understanding about podcast listening here uh, up until the last few years. Yeah, definitely. And within your study, a lot of the popular podcasts I noticed on that list, some of them were American. Um, What is the space like right now for Canadian podcasts? Are the listening habits of Canadians very different to the U.S.? In terms of choices, like content choices, the biggest difference would be the, that Canadian podcasts really do have a, a pretty stable place here in Canada right now. So uh, when we looked at the survey we did where we asked people to name up to 10 podcasts they've learned in the last, uh, sorry, that they've listened to in the last month, uh, we got, you know, we came back with a list of more than 2,400 podcasts. But when you look at the top 50, 30% of them are actually Canadian podcasts. So to me, that's, that's a really high rate of interest in Canadian content, given that there are no CRTC uh, rela- uh, regulations or CanCon regulations that, you know, that push people or encourage people to listen to anything. Uh, and I don't think people are seeking out Canadian content uh, as much as it is that there's a lot of good stuff out there, and you know, they look for content that's entertaining, that's got great storytelling, that tells them something new, and... and you know, there's a lot of Canadian content out there that does that. Yeah, definitely. And what are some of those podcasts within Canada that have really grown in popularity? Yeah, so there's one that always stands out to me, uh, certainly stood out this year in terms of the biggest growth, and that's Canadian True Crime, which is hosted by Christy Lee, who's actually an, uh, an expat Australian. And I but she has a day job. I think she works in, in marketing, and she was very interested in the true crime genre. And she was, I guess, doing a lot of research and, and trying to understand that space and decided to sort of try out podcasting. And I think she was literally recording the podcast in her closet and uh, and doing a lot of research. She hosted herself. She was producing it herself and writing. I'm sure she's expanded at this point. 
This is Christy, and you're listening to Canadian True Crime, episode 54. The police began their investigation into finding her missing friend, Tanya. At 5 so, um, Last year when we did this study, uh, Canadian True Crime ranked at number 104, and this year in the 2019 survey, it's 12th. So that's a, a massive jump. Mm-hmm. And we've seen other examples of successful Canadian podcasts, whether that's CBC podcast, like Under the Influence, or whether that's uh, original podcast they have, like Someone Knows Something. You're listening to Someone Knows Something from CBC Podcasts. Uh, it does very well, and uh, if you look at Canada Land, that continues to perform well. That's an independent podcast. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by... So we, see, we even see French-language podcast, uh, Quebec podcast, faring very well in Quebec. Yeah, that's really interesting. And some of those podcasts um, that you mentioned there about are about true crime. Um, it seems that they're one of the most popular genres out there. Would you would you say that's correct? They're definitely a very popular genre. It gets tricky to try to measure, you know, what the most popular genre is. But I can tell you that when you look at the top ten podcasts that women have picked in our survey, four of the top ten are true crime. You mentioned uh, Canadian True Crime, which was created by a marketer. Um, yeah. Could you tell me a bit about like who who are making these podcasts? Yeah, I think it's a range of people. So, I mean, on the Canadian side, I don't know uh, a ton of true crime producers beyond CBC, which is a major player. And CBC has the benefit of having a ton of resources and experience in the space of journal investigative journalism. So. Um, for one, they're, they, they are expert audio storytellers because that's the business they've been in on Radio 1 for so many years. And they also have a very uh, you know, robust and skilled news team. So they're able to sort of collaborate between units there and produce something uh, that kind of combines really nice storytelling with some deep investigative journalism. And I think they have a big advantage in that space. And, and then I think the... Um, you know, Canadian True Crime is a, is a good example of quite a different podcast uh, where she's not doing firsthand reporting. You know, she's not going out and breaking stories. She's really looking at what's out there and trying to summarize it and put it out there in a, in a way that's appealing to people. And that seems to be working really well for her. I think there are, you know, there are even comedy podcasts out there that sort of play off the some of the tropes and, and the genre that is true crime. And Everyone be quiet. Okay, I'm robbing this place. My name is Gwen Radford. Yes, I have a big gun. It's a real gun. It's full of bullets. This season on This Sounds Serious. <laughs> if we turn to news podcasts in the States, The Daily has nearly one billion downloads. From the New York Times, I'm Michael Barbaro. This is The Daily. Of Frontburner, CBC's news podcast. Today, I'm Jamie Poisson. Thanks so much for listening to Frontburner and see you tomorrow. And also other media corporations such as Chorus and Huffington Post. You're listening to the HuffPost Canada Splash. They've all started news podcasts. So, could this be the new way that media organizations break down daily news stories? I think it's a really great extra way. Extra isn't the best word, but it's 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 a great path to reach listeners with news content in, in a format that is a little bit different and allows you to dive a little deeper into some issues. I think there will always be a place for news updates, live news updates. I think radio is great for that because you throw on the radio, 
They've got news updates every quarter. They'll have traffic updates. You know, things that are sort of immediate and important are easier to convey in short bites through the radio. You can't put out like a little one-minute newscast or five-minute newscast on, and, uh, through a podcast. But where I think the medium really shines, you know, the way to take advantage of that medium is you imagine someone with headphones on or you're just speaking to one person and their focus is really on what you're saying. You know, the radio is a little bit different. There's a lot of competition for attention in that space. And they're also coming at it at their own time. They're not coming at it at, you know, 8 in the morning and you know they're listening at 8 in the morning. They could be listening any time. So it's really great if you can provide context, some depth, take a deep dive, do the kinds of things that radio can't often afford to do in their newscasts. I think that's the opportunity. And I think they're getting, you know, different organizations are getting very smart about thinking, how do we put out something every day that isn't just a replica of what we do, you know, on the radio or online. How easy is it really to get a following like some of the podcasts we've mentioned today? What are the platforms that people are using to listen to podcasts? Yeah, so the, you know, the number one platform has traditionally always been Apple. Apple was so dominant and, you know, for good reason. They were in the game super early when nobody else was. And then they put out an app in 2014 and that helped uh, their platform as well. But they never invested a ton of resources into it. They certainly didn't have a business model around it. It was almost like a little pet project they were doing to keep uh, people happy. But it's become, you know, a business over the last, you know, three or four years in a much more serious way. And we're starting to see other players, you know, Spotify being the biggest example of a platform that's invested heavily in podcasting. Spotify. Uh, I'm a big user. Uh, big user, no call. Yes, we are as well. Uh, they just bought two podcast companies. They're also out with earnings. It was a nice beat this morning. Spotify, it's now been confirmed, bought uh, the Gimlet Network for $230 million. So they're making a real play to build audience, and, and that's reflected in our survey. We've seen Spotify rise up from, you know, basically being something that we didn't track a year or two ago to something that's, you know, depending on how you slice it, up to 24% of the audience is accessing Spotify for podcasts. The other big story is YouTube, which really did surprise us as well, and which we weren't looking at seriously until this year. And although I don't think it's really a podcast platform, that doesn't matter to, to listeners. They go to YouTube because they go to YouTube for everything, and they do find podcasts there, and there are video podcasts and other variations of podcasts. So YouTube is a really popular way for people to just sort of um, – check out podcasts and listen to them, particularly video ones. But where you find the deep listening, like um, most uh, what we call power listeners, so these are podcast listeners that are listening five hours or more a week, they're doing most of the listening. They're doing about 75% of the weekly listening overall. They're still primarily on Apple. Yeah, and, and on that strategy, like how easy is it sort of now to get discovered on those podcast platforms? It's tough because... You've got so many podcasts competing for really limited promotional real estate, that's for sure. So, for example, you know, Apple Podcasts has more than 750,000 different podcast titles, not episodes, but actual shows in their system. You know, you can go to the front page of Apple Podcasts and there might be six that get featured in a carousel. And, um, and even um, your ability to get promoted in that space depends on having a relationship with the person that manages it and the person that manages it oversees multiple countries. So, mm -hmm. you know, and Apple being the biggest platform, it's 
it's great to get promotion there. But even if you get promotion there, and even if you get ranked in the charts, it's no guarantee that that's going to drive a ton more listening. You know? And so it, it is really competitive. It's a real crapshoot. There are opportunities on Spotify to get featured. There are some opportunities in other spaces. And, um, but it really is um, something that requires a combination of a great podcast, a really smart marketing plan that lines up with your budget and just makes you know, smart choices based on what you can do and and some luck. And in some ways it's it's a bit like a you know an album or something yeah. <laughs> where where you're you know you can be a great musician, you can have a great record, but if you do a terrible job promoting it no one will hear it and you can promote the hell out of something and if you're your music isn't good, no one wants to hear it. And then even both those things could work really well, and you can have good luck or bad luck that makes that possible. So, you know, it's Wild West, I would say, still. Yeah, yeah. So we're not, I mean, I feel like every single person has their own podcast now. Do you, do you think we're pushing towards kind of an oversaturation of, of podcasts? Yeah, well, I think, um, I don't know, it's kind of like saying, is there an oversaturation of music? Like, if somebody has something to say, and, and it's uh, a new voice out there, I, I think that's a good thing. I don't think it's a bad thing ever. Mm. Uh, you're right that a ton of people have podcasts and that sometimes people have podcasts when they shouldn't have one. And I don't say that because there isn't room for people, but just because they don't know what they're doing in that space or they don't understand that space. And I think that's true for brands as well mm. sometimes uh, in a branded content space there's a risk where a brand hears that a podcast is an interesting thing and that's a good reason to do it, but they don't necessarily really understand strategically why they're in that space or maybe can't can't execute things in a way that makes sense in that space. Yeah, and then I guess that's why we sort of see companies like Pacific Content like creating um, podcasts for, for those companies. Yeah, Pacific Content is a great example of you know a, a bunch of really talented Canadians who are working with brands to create original content, and uh, they have a lot of experience just making podcasts. A lot of them are CBC people, former CBC people, I should say. So, yeah, they do a great work. You know, I've, I've worked with brands uh, before to help produce podcasts, and, you know, each time you have a client, you, you learn something new about, uh, about the relationship between the client, the producer, and more things you can do up to sort of front load thinking about strategy and making sure you're a good fit. And I think that everybody has clients that they, you know, reject or advise against being in the space because it's a big commitment to be in that space. And if you're not really behind it, if your organization is not 100% behind it, it's kind of doomed to, to have a lot of challenges. Yeah, definitely. And turning more to the future, we talked about a bunch of different podcasts, uh, some that are from media organizations, others that are from, you know, advertisers and things like that. But we've spoken a lot on this show about filling gaps within the Canadian journalism landscape. What are some podcasts doing to really revitalize storytelling in journalism? That's a good question. I think, you know, I think if you look at something like Missing and Murdered, it's it's really bringing some attention to an important story that you know was ignored for a very long time. You know, a tragic story that really is a part of who we are as a country. This is a very strange and frustrating story to have your family member stolen, murdered, then missing. I'm Connie Walker, and this is Missing and Murdered. And I think Finding it's an opportunity to you know understand and explore that in a way that can be really informative and insightful. 
but also incorporate really good storytelling. Um, I know there's lots of other examples of Canadian podcasts that are just telling little Canadian stories that people might not have heard otherwise. Hi there. I'm Sarah Martin, the host of a new podcast called Home Cooked. It's about family recipes and why they get passed on. The secret ingredient is love. Why else would you put in... Um, And I think that the barrier to entry is low in terms of the technical cost. So for a storyteller or producer in Canada to make something like a video documentary or even just, you know, any kind of produce a good quality piece of video, it's, it's expensive and it takes a lot, you know, a lot of different people to make that happen. Whereas I think podcasting, some of the tools are so basic and are built into uh, some of the personal devices that people have at home. We are brand new to podcasting. We were learning as we went along. Sometimes the audio in these early episodes is a little rougher than we'd like. We even get some facts wrong. And definitely, you know, you can write and you can record audio and you can even mix virtually for free. So mm-hmm. you have an opportunity to develop your skills um, at a very, very low cost. And I do think that's a great opportunity for everybody. Well, thank you so much, Jeff. I really appreciate the call. Yeah, you're welcome. Nice talking to you. As I mentioned, podcast creators convened here in Toronto over the last week sharing their tricks of the trade. We caught up with festival curator Will Denovi to talk about the Hot Docs Podcast Festival. This year marks its fourth anniversary. Here's what he had to say. What we noticed with the, the podcast festival in particular is that it's, it's a very it's a young, dynamic, diverse audience. People sort of 20 to 40 years old who truly re- reflect the diversity of Toronto. And that's like incredibly gratifying for us. We started very much as a public-facing festival. The premise of the whole idea was just simply to bring the world's best podcast to Toronto to perform live for their Canadian fans and then by the same token to showcase some of, you know, the best podcasts here in Canada to the world um, through live performances for the public. But what really started happening very quickly was that we started getting a real demand from both Canadian podcasters and then from our international content partners to kind of create programs and spaces where they could come together and network and do you know, industry panels and networking events. In order to meet that demand, we've really seen our, our industry programming grow by leaps and bounds. So we're, you know, the first year we did, you know, two or three industry panels just featuring a couple of the podcasters who happened to be participating in the festival. We now had like, gosh, I don't know, like between 30 and 40 industry program events this year. The festival is growing and every year and we're getting more and more opportunities to feature, you know, these high-profile, world-renowned shows like, you know, Still Processing or John Ronson or Deconstructed. But we want to make sure that as we grow, we continue to kind of carve out spaces for talented, homegrown podcasters to kind of develop their skills. And I think it was our biggest festival to date in terms of the number of events we staged and the size of the audiences that we drew. So 
So just before we get on to our next segment here, I just want to fully disclose that I do work for CBC on the Cross Country Checkup show on Sundays, but I'm not affiliated with this host or show that I'm introducing next. So with that, our next guest was one of the speakers at this year's podcast festival, and she's celebrating hosting her own podcast for one year now. Jamie Fosson is the host of Frontburner, the CBC's daily news podcast, and we are on location today joining her in the CBC studios. So thanks so much for having us, Jamie. Thank you so much for being here. Ashley. Great. Um, so Front Burner is a daily news podcast. It's been out for a year now. So in short, just to start, what has it been like to enter the audio space and host a daily news podcast? Mm, yeah, it's been a real learning curve for me because I came from a print background. And so, you know, I moved from interviews being like a relatively exploratory process, right? As a print reporter, I could just call someone up and talk to them for an hour and just kind of like wade my way through and take what I wanted. It's a little bit different. As you know, in audio, you have to sort of, like a lot of the prep work comes on the front end. You have to know what you kind of want to get before the interviews start. Uh, also, just just uh, like reading scripts and working in a different medium yeah. and having to listen to your own voice, <laughs> which is rough. <laughs> yeah. Yes, definitely. Um, so Front Burner is nearly always, I think, in the top 20 on Spotify and iTunes. Tell me about your audience and how do you engage with your audience? Yeah. So what we know about our audience from our spot from Spotify, because they released this data, is that we're looking at around like 25 to 35, that's sort of the average age. I think, and I mean, I don't know this for sure, I think Apple probably skews a bit older. Like I know anecdotally, I use the Apple charts and my cousins who are in their early 20s, they use Spotify. Um, so I think we have a pretty good idea that we're hitting like that millennial bracket and then maybe a little bit on each generation. We know that they're really engaged. We hear from our listeners all the time uh, they have questions or ideas they want us to do like a show on explaining equalization payments or on explaining all the different climate change policies that you know the different parties have in the election you know in October we got 800,000 downloads so we know also we've been growing uh, over the year um, so I think you know that's pretty much what we know about our listeners right now yeah, yeah, definitely. And and listening to your show last week, you had this great two-part series on Western alienization mm-hmm. um, in Alberta and Saskatchewan. And you had these great clips of two Albertans saying pretty much the same much thing. Just the oil issue. This goes back for many, many years. Toying around with the idea of an Alberta separation. One was from Justin Trudeau's leadership and the other was from Pierre Trudeau's yes. leadership, which was a really great use of archival sound. Yeah, um, and I have to give so much credit to producers Derek Vanderweg and Elaine Chow for producing that episode. Uh, they did so much work digging through the yeah, CBC archives. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so as someone who has until the last year spent most of their career in the written word, mm-hmm. how does it feel to work with audio to convey your storytelling? It's kind of freeing, actually. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love a great written, like I love writing and I love sort of digging into a big long read. I think that you can do a lot in, with a written word, but to actually hear people say these things is can be like a very powerful way to experience a story. Like even, you know, the Western alienation episode, I think is a great example. Uh, there was another clip of an Albertan that was so angry during the National Energy Program years that he was talking about picking up a gun, Uh, like so angry that maybe he would pick up a gun. And when you listen to that clip, you can like hear his voice trembling. Be happy to fight for our freedom, and I literally mean fight with a rifle. 
It's really hard to get that across. In writing, uh, we had an episode that ran this morning on Don Cherry, and we played like all of these clips from Don Cherry throughout his career. We put 75% of the players in the National Hockey League. I think that's really, t- to hear it, you know, uh, is really something. I would say like radio and podcasting, it feels like a more like intimate experience because this is like the only thing that you've got, right? Just sound. So you're really leaning in. And particularly with podcasting, I think most people are listening to podcasts with earphones. So it becomes like this really intimate experience, right? It's just like sound front and center. Yeah. So we've seen such a rise in daily news podcasts Mm -hmm. across media organizations. And I thought it really hit home this year when you hosted one of CBC's panels on election night. Mm -hmm. Um, What was the gap that CBC was trying to fill in in creating this podcast? Uh, You know, there was this boom of uh, daily news podcasts, but largely in the United States. And the daily was like wildly popular in Canada. Mm -hmm. And so the obvious, you know, move is to have like a Canadian focused daily news podcast. So I think that that was certainly in the gap that they were trying to fill. Also, you know, we know podcasts are reaching younger audiences. This is where younger people are coming to consume the news. And I, I think, you know, both of those things put together Uh, probably informed, you know, their decision and enthusiasm around launching uh, FrontBurner. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. Um, And just turning back to that election night special, Mm -hmm. um, you had a really interesting panel. I know. Um, (laughs) Like Like most opinionated people. uh, Yeah, like Nahid Nenshi. uh, Mayor of Calgary. Yeah. Ryan McManon and the Sun News editor. Yeah, Mark uh, Tui. And then also Marie Hennon. Yeah, Um, who was formerly John Gomeshi's lawyer. Exactly. What was the idea behind that panel and was kind of part of it to bring sort of a visual representation of front burner to the show that night? Oh, that's interesting. I, I'm not sure. I, I think um, from the CBC's perspective, you know, they wanted to just bring like not the usual suspects on to the stage as well. I mean, it's great to have all the political analysis, but to just have people who are just interesting, who you might mm-hmm. want to hear from and um who, you know, have, have like high profiles in Canada and like people that if you were like at an election watch party, like maybe you would want to saddle up next to Marie Hennon mm-hmm. and just c- sort of get her thoughts throughout the night um, or Ryan McMahon. Uh, and so I think that was sort of the impetus behind it. Um, and then also we were doing an AMA during most of the night as well. So it was also like trying to have that digital pre- presence too. And people were asking Marie and Mayor Nenshi like all these direct questions, uh, which was neat because they would just, you know, they were just responding with people who were like watching it on the screen. And then they were like, oh, can you elaborate on this point that you just made on television? And it was kind of neat when you see different mediums bleed into each other. Yeah, yeah. yeah really like cross collaboration yeah. for mm-hmm. sure. Um, And on the note of format, you choose a news topic each day, and often it's a reporter from the field. Mm -hmm. Um, But unlike The Daily, they're not all CBC journalists. And I know we're in a landscape where we're operating with a very shrinking staff. What is the idea behind that format? Is it just because, you know, you want to get someone close at hand at the CBC, or is is that by design? It's great talking to the CBC journalists in part because... You know, they're also like invested in the show, um, you know, being from the CBC as well. We're all colleagues. And so they'll spend like a lot of time working with us to try and make these great arcs. And when we go to other people, they're also fantastic. Sometimes they don't have as much sort of time because they have, you know, other jobs. I, you know, we're not stuck just to CBC journalists in part because the mandate is, um, 
you know, just like great stories, you know, and, and also like great Canadian culture. And so we also wanted to bring on, you know, newsmakers here, like uh, we, we want to be able to interview them and also other journalists, because I think it's also the CBC's role as, as a public broadcaster to be um, promoting Canadian media as well, right? Because this mm-hmm. is also part of our culture, yeah. the Toronto Star, the Globe and Mail, um, you know, other Canadian podcasts, uh, even like Vice Canada, BuzzFeed News Canada, like these are also uh, institutions that are helping shape Canadian culture. So we want to just make sure that we have like tons of voices. Um, what has it been like for you to switch from the Toronto Star and now working for the public broadcaster yeah. in terms of like how much Canadian content you have to have on the show? Is it similar or? Yeah, yeah. yeah. There is no... Um, I mean, I don't know if there are mandates, but maybe we just automatically fill them because... Right. Uh, you know, we put so much Canadian content on the show. I will say, I think there is a sense here in Canada that people are overwhelmed by American news. And so, you know, when we have too many stories that aren't Canadian in a row, we actually get complaints. Mm. Um, And so I think Canadians care about what is happening outside their borders. And so that is why we want to go to Syria. We want to do a a show about Venezuela. We want to do a show about, like, you know, the impeachment hearings in the United Mm -hmm. States. But I, I do think that there is also a desire for, like, us to stay in like in our border, like in our country as well, and report on important Canadian stories because there's like all of these other places, particularly in the podcasting landscape, where there's tons of American news. This podcast is also, it's very conversational. It's yeah. super easy to listen to. Oh, cool, um, <laughs> And I'm wondering, I know that that's not easy. I know you have to make a lot of decisions behind all of those words that you say. And I'm wondering, what are some of the challenges in maintaining like journalistic standards when you're creating this podcast? Yeah, well, I would yeah. say you're doing quite a good job right now. Um, <laughs> getting that vibe as well. So, you know, we... Um, we certainly plan out these conversations. I would say we try very hard to keep them conversational and spontaneous, but you know, there isn't like a, I don't want people to mistake that for like a lack of effort. Mm. So we try to make these spontaneous moments happen, like if they happen, like lean into them. But you know, we also want to do lots of research um, in the beginning to make sure that we are like structuring this conversation in a way that makes sense for people, that people are able to follow. And also that we are like hitting all the important notes that we want in a story. Like if you're gonna sit here and listen for 25 minutes to a podcast about John Cherry, like we wanna make sure that we did enough research that we get like these big moments of controversy. we want to like sort of lean into the tape like before that interview yesterday when we did the John Cherry podcast like our producers were pulling tape like we knew we had you know the clip of him in 1990 talking to the fifth estate and talking about you know foreigners coming into this country and you know making a lot of dough right which mm-hmm. was another controversial comment and so you know we know we want to hit those things in the conversation and um you know also like i i spent quite a bit of time yesterday you know, ensuring like we, we knew we were going to ask about the role of the CBC and the role of Sportsnet. And, and we also want to be fair and, and have like good journalistic practices. I mean, we are subjected to the CBC's journalistic standards and principles. And also, you know, it's important. So, you know, I have all of these notes with Sportsnet's statement and the CBC's statement. And we're going back and forth with CBC's spokesperson Chuck Thompson. We just want to make sure that we've given everybody 
um, the chance to respond so that we can have like a full and fair conversation. Mm -hmm. So I would say like, we want it to be casual, and and if we hit it, we, I'm, not, I'm not saying we hit it every day, but you know that's a great place for us to land. But also, we want it to be like substantial, and and we want people to feel like we've done our homework too, and uh, that's why we like to also put a lot of effort on the front end. Yeah, yeah. We also are fact checking on the back end, and I, I like always like to say this because I just don't want people to think we just like throw this stuff off on the internet. So you know after. There's a lot of research that we do on the front end, um, trying to make sure that we get all of that information correct uh, on the first try. And then we also fact check the interview at the end to ensure that everything that's been said, you know, is correct because everybody makes mistakes, especially when you're trying to have a casual conversation. You could be off by a couple hundred if you're doing statistics. You could, you know, accidentally say somebody's name wrong, you know, this kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. for sure looking to the future mm -hmm. of the podcast where does front burner lie i think we're just gonna keep trucking along here um i think we want to you know continue to push the limits we launched the show last year we have an incredible team you know we, we had to like put a bunch of stuff in place just to make a show you know systems and you know we had a lot of talks about voice and you know how to do these interviews there's learning curves for me and i think you know now we're thinking about you know what what, what might we like to do next like we'd like to get on the road we'd like to do live shows we'd like to do more ambitious pieces like that two-part western alienation piece which was really like a deep dive like historical deep dive that took uh Derek and Elaine like time right to be able to do that and so um you know I think we just want to keep getting more ambitious uh you know as we go along yeah great yeah. well thank you so much Jamie thank Actually, you so much for having pleasure. us yeah, thank you so much all right so that's it for our podcast. But what podcast do you dream of hosting? Let us know your thoughts on Twitter at Ryerson Review and on Instagram at The Ryerson Review. You can join us next week live on Tuesday, November 19th from Ryerson University for our first RRJ event. I'll be speaking with our special guest, Desmond Cole. We'll be talking about whether objectivity is a sham in journalism and we'll break down the concept of activism and journalism and the crossroad between those roles in the industry. If you would like to get tickets, please click on the link in our podcast post or in our bio on social media. Our podcast was produced by myself, Tanya Sarek, and our editor, Ashley Fraser. Special thanks to technical help from Angela Glover and Lindsay Hanna, and thanks to our guests this week, Jeff Ulster, Will DeNovi, and Jamie Pusson. Our executive producer is Sonia Fata. And if you liked our show today, be sure to subscribe. See you next time.